This is not actually Liz talking, it's Jason off screen, just in case you were wondering. But <laughs> um, again, we're super happy to see all of you here, and let's go ahead and open up our worship today in this first song. One, two, three, four.
please stand for our call to worship. Our call to worship comes from Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Thank you. 
awkward moment of silence while we do some setting adjustments. Oh yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Three, four. No. Let's try Sorry. that again. Reset. <laughs> Too many buttons on this. There we go. Two, three, four. <laughs> Abundant, like a ring of solid gold, like a vow that is tested, like a covenant of old. Your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon. With mercy for today, faithful you have been, and faithful you will be. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this glorious day that you've given us to come together and worship you, Lord. And we thank you for this house that you've built and the people that you've filled inside of it, Lord. We, uh, we ask that you be with us now, Lord. Just help us clear our hearts and our minds of any of the distractions that hold us back from seeing you today, Lord. Um, we also want to take a moment of silent prayer to just lay our, our, 
thoughts, our fears, our concerns, our shortfalls, our failings, the things that block us from seeing you in our everyday life, we want to lay those down at the foot of the cross now so that we can come to you with open hearts and open minds and open arms, Lord. So again, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this glorious day and, and all the many blessings that you pour out upon us, Lord. Just be with us now. Make your presence known. Make your glory shine as we worship you today. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.
Oh God, we just thank you so much for your promises. We thank you that um, you have chosen to adopt us and call us by name and make us your children and prepare a place for us. We thank you for the gift of song that as we worship you, we remember your truths. And Father, we ask for a special blessing on Pastor Dan as he brings us your word. I pray that you would um, open our hearts and prepare and tenderize us so that we can receive exactly what you would have um, to help us grow this morning. And we ask that you would be with our pastor, with uh, Pastor Tom, as he's away um, celebrating with family, um, beautiful events and beautiful people, um, that you would restore his soul and bring him back safely. And we also ask for a special blessing on our kids, Father, whether they're at home doing their printables or having important discussions with mom and dad, um, that they too would know you better today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the train skipped the track just a little bit. Oh, stinker. So remember that prayer when she's going to do the reading and then Rusty's going to come up. We're going to play this one more song real quick. I took the reading out of my book. Oops. That's why. <laughs> I know I have it. She's going to read after this we'll be song. Here all night, It'll folks. all be Don't there. Don't tip your weight stuff. We keep it real. Yeah. <laughs> one, two, three, four. Just do the reading and then, uh, then we'll go from there. Well, yeah, we'll do the reading after the song. It'll, it'll work out fine. All right. Perfect. Watch this.
Please be seated. Our reading is from 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now Rusty. (laughs) You guys are awesome. Well done. All right, my name is Rusty Tungit. I am one of the elders here at Hope Church. And we are glad you are here with us today. Um, Let's go over what's going on around here. Um, First, if you're here in the building and you've got one of these cards, this is one of our favorite things here at Hope. This is how you communicate prayer requests with us. Your elders love to pray for you. And so please communicate with us um, in any way that that you seem um, necessary. Um, but know that it is our pleasure to engage in those types of things with you. Um, If you are young, we have our kids printable put together by our children's ministry team. Well done, Deb and Jen. Once again, this is designed, if you've been keeping these, to give you basically a cover-to-cover curriculum for your kids um, as we do this run through the Bible series Um, It's been absolutely amazing, and um, yeah, I've colored more than one of these myself. So, Mike, if you want to grab some crayons, go right ahead, brother. Yes, sir. Well done. All right, what do we got going on here on Tuesday nights? We have what what we call our Two for Tuesday. It is a Bible study that is following the sermon series, and after we watch a video from the Bible Project, we then break out, and you can go with Dr. Mark True and his lovely wife Lois into our drill down group. They usually pick one passage or two to drill deeply into, or you can stick with Tom and I as we do the overview of all of the books. So that's on Tuesday evenings. We have our youth group, which, yeah, I think I did that wrong. Zach, you didn't even participate. Youth group, there we go. Um, That will be tonight um, at 6 p.m. The kids are working on the summer sermon series, and Jimmy Townsend has put a beehive on our property. The bees are active and going, building their hive, and the kids are comparing and contrasting the hive and the church out of Acts chapter 2, and so we are excited to watch the kids bring their sermons to you this summer. Before that happens, we will go to Blueprint, and this year we'll be there for um, four days, working during the day. It is June the 14th, so we, we work on Monday the 14th through Thursday the 17th, but we're getting together on Sunday night for a team-building exercise. We're going to do the box on Tuesday, and then a final event Thursday night, but we're working we're day working we're not staying on the campus this year um lois we've already got what seven or eight adults signed up 
So we. Okay. So for all of you people that have told Tom or told me or more importantly told Lois that we're coming, but you haven't signed up online in True Hope Church style, yes, Sean, I am looking at you. Um, I need you to go to the website and to sign up. It'll be very easy. It's all the forms have been digitized by the team of Lois and Kristen Abram. And so things are much easier this year. But if you will go ahead and sign up and pay your deposit, someone I love very much, her stress will fall greatly. So please get signed up. Um, yes, so do that. Blueprint is always a great time. The kids love it. And it's fun as an adult to watch our kids serve other people. So that's coming up soon. And then also we've got a few families that are in need of meals at this point. And so if you will reach out to one of our brand new deacons, Mike Mitchell, he is organizing that for a couple of different families. We would love to support these families in our church as they are recovering. So please reach out to him and, um, and love on some people. I think that covers everything that's going on. Um, Jen, did we settle on the next Kids Craft Day? Is that, it's Father's Day, which is June the 20th, I believe. So um, parents plan on bringing your kids to the Hope um, Craft Day on Hope for Kids Craft Day on June the 20th. So you've got some notice about that. All right, well, um, we are gonna get to hear the message today from my friend and mentor, Dan Topperwine. Dan went to DTS and was a pastor at a church for about 10 years, but more importantly, he is the husband of a lovely wife, the father of three kids, and most importantly, the grandfather to three grandkids. So um, Dan, come on up and teach us about the pastoral epistles, and let me pray for you before you take over. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Dan and all of the time and preparation that he took to bring your word. I just pray that you would use your word to change us. And I just pray that, um, that as this family grows closer to you through your word, that we would grow closer to each other and that we would model to the world what it means to love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Or you already did half of my intro. Good morning. I'm told that's how John Wayne used to say it. Good morning. All right, well, if you didn't hear all that, I'm Dan Topperwine. I'm filling in for Tom this morning. And uh, this is my wife right here, Anne. She's been my wife for 39 years. So next March, you want to get on the uh, party list. So, and uh, we've got three wonderful children three grandchildren, we're empty nesters, the important part of that statement was the three grandchildren, of course. I'm a native of San Antonio, as he said, I went to Churchill High School, although they don't like to claim me, go Chargers. <laughs> I did my uh, uh, undergraduate work at North Texas State and then my graduate work at Dallas Theological Seminary. I was ordained at Christ Presbyterian Church here in San Antonio where I ministered for number of years, very similar to Tom, about the same size church, same everything like that, and uh, 
now I'm kind of on a, an extended sabbatical, and uh, we're members here at church, at Hope Church, because uh, we really like it here, and this is just a great little harbor for, for us to kind of park in for my wife and I to be in for a little bit until, you know, uh, we find out where the Lord wants to take us next. So we're doing this series, and uh, Tom just describes it as uh, sprinting through the Bible, right? Isn't that what he calls it, sprinting through the Bible? And uh, I thought he was going to take about a year, but I guess he's actually only taken about five months. So if you're tuning in for the first time, understand that this is, this is a, a very, very quick overview. We're doing four books just this morning. So when he says sprinting through the Bible... Picture maybe like a large pond, and we're skipping a rock across it, okay? There's a lot of stuff in that pond that we're passing over. We're hitting the high points. But I guess the, the goal is that if you've been a part of this all the way along, you will have moved uh, through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and have gotten a good overview of uh, all of Scripture and how it fits together. So this morning we're going to be doing Philemon, Titus, First and Second Timothy. These are called uh, uh, the pastoral epistles. Uh, we're not going to be doing them in that order, though. Let me give you a little background information first. So there were 12 apostles because there were 12 tribes in Israel. But then with Pentecost comes this new thing, the church. Gentiles are brought in. This is a new creation, a new thing. And so... Uh, Though the 12 apostles did help with it, I think the Lord looked at it and he said, the church needs its own apostle. It needs someone really dedicated because for the church to get up and on its feet, it's going to be really, really difficult. They're going to they're meet a lot, a lot of ops, uh, 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 opposition, word I'm looking for there. And so he looked around, the Lord did. He looked around to find somebody that would be just, just absorbed, enthusiastic about the church. And he found one. It was a Jew named Saul. He is enthusiastically persecuting the church. Saul spent his time, he was of the Sanhedrin. And he spent a lot of his time going around rounding up these Christians hauling them off to jail, taking children away from their parents, confiscating property, in some cases, even stoning them to death. And as Paul is on his way to Damascus with letters from Jerusalem to arrest some more Christians and bring them back, he has what we call the Damascus Road experience, if you've ever heard that word. And what it's talking about is as he's on that road going to Damascus, Jesus appears to him. Now, loosely translated, basically, Jesus says, hey, what are you doing? I'm real. Why are you persecuting me? And coming face to face with Jesus like this, and we know it was real because the other men in the party heard the voice. They didn't see the vision. Only Paul was allowed that. But they heard the voice, and we know by those witnesses this was genuine. And that was powerful enough that it completely changed Saul, the persecutor, into Paul, the church planter. And he even changed his name because that's the, way, that's the way Saul saw it. That's the way Paul saw it, I should say. 
Saul is the old man. He's dead. He's gone. I'm a new man now. Christ has put a new heart in me. I'm not the old man. I'm someone new completely. I even have a new name. So the church, as a matter of, so the church gets growing. As a matter of fact, when we did the study in Acts, if you read through Acts, you're going to run into Paul a lot. It records uh, a lot of his church planting, his missions to go out and plant churches and get them started. And often he was the he was the guy going into virgin territory. No, nobody had ever heard anything before. And uh, he really had incredible courage, and he endured incredible persecution. And uh, as at the end of Acts, he ends up in prison in Rome, and that is when he writes Philemon. The other three are going to be written later, and we'll address that. But he writes this. He's in in Rome. He's a uh, he is in a house arrest, uh, kind of like today with a leg monitor or something. He had his own house. He could move around the house, and uh, he was there for two years. He had a guard on him, uh, but it was pretty easy arrest compared to his next one. So let's just begin with uh, the book of Philemon. So it's a really, it's a really, really short letter, and we put it in with the pastorals, even though it's not written to a, a pastor because it's pastoral in nature. Uh, it's only about 25 verses long. Uh, what's going on is uh, uh, Onesimus is a runaway slave from Colossia. Colossia is a town uh, Paul used to visit when he was in Ephesus, about 100 miles east from Ephesus. And Paul would go out there, and uh, he befriended a man named uh, Philemon. Philemon was very wealthy, and he was a Roman, and wealthy Romans owned a lot of slaves. And Philemon became uh, a believer. Sometime later, we know Paul is in Rome there, arrested under house arrest. Onesimus, for some reason, uh, hoofs it. He runs. Okay? And he probably came to Rome because Rome was the biggest city in the world. And you know the old saying, all, all roads lead to Rome. And they literally did. It was, it was huge. And if you were a runaway slave, I think that would be the place to go where you could hide and nobody would find you. But evidently things didn't go well for Onesimus. We're not really sure. It doesn't tell us. But we do know that he sought out and he found Paul. And Paul leads him to Christ. And that's what precipitates this letter. Paul, on, the, on behalf of Onesimus, writes this letter to Philemon. But I want you to look at this and... And I want you to see that, that, that Paul has a different thing in mind to accomplish with this letter. First, let me, let's, let's understand a couple of things about Rome at this time. First, slavery built Rome. The roads, the Colosseums, the circus, the aqueducts, it was all built by slave labor. And... The second thing is, is that to understand that at one point in the development in Rome, they crossed the threshold, and there were actually more slaves in Rome than there were free people. There were more. They were the majority. And you, and you think, how can this happen? Well, remember that old movie with, you know, what's his name? Spartacus? I am Spartacus. No, I am Spartacus. That's a true story. 
was a slave uprising. And the last thing I want us to understand about slavery in Rome is that, you know, from historians, we know that Rome fell because of corruption from the inside. But another piece of that puzzle was simply Rome ran into, the Roman Empire ran into financial problem because they simply ran out of countries to conquer and enslave. They would conquer a country, round up the people, bring them back, sell them off. All the money went in the coffers. They literally ran out of countries in the Western Hemisphere to conquer, and it spelled their financial ruin. So what Paul is doing here, like I said, he's going to write this letter to Onesimus, I mean to uh, Philemon, about Onesimus. But his goal here is to reach Philemon's heart. Have you got to pull that up there for us, 8 and 9? So at the beginning of the letter, see what he says right here. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Do you hear what he's saying? Paul's telling him, based upon my apostolic authority, I could tell you to do it. But I'm not going to because that's not the way Christ is. I'm going to implore you. Look at the next, next pass, the, the rest of that there. 15 and 16. Perhaps the reason, he says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a while, for a little while, was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. You see, we're family now. That's what he's trying to get across to Philemon. We're all family now. This is this our church. This is not a club. If you're a member here, you're not a member of Hope Church Club. You're a member of Hope Church Family. This is why we fight and don't get along all the time. Just joking. Actually, I love this church because... Everybody does get along so well. Paul's telling him, I could order you to do it as an apostle, but I want you to do it from a changed heart. See, Christianity, listen to this, Christianity is not a new set of rules. It's a changed heart. Christ is not trying to change us from the outside in by telling us to do this and don't do that. He's changing us from the inside out by giving us a new heart, by putting his love in us and changing the way we think and the way we feel. The men's retreat this last week, I was there and... uh, the only one with any hair, by the way. Just thought I'd throw that out there. I do this for all my follically challenged brothers. You know, I grow it because they can't. They can, they can live their hair through me. But I'm out there and there's like these about 20, I mean, hairy, stinky old guys sitting around smoking cigars in a circle and everything like that. 
And we go around, we're giving testimonies. And I tell you what, I mean, to hear these, these big, brawny, tough-looking guys just gushing with broken hearts, saying, I wish I could be a better dad. wish I could be a better husband. They're working at it. I told them a little bit about my past, just, just a spinchin'. In my testimony, I'll tell them just a little bit about what I was like before I became a follower of Christ. And two of them cried. One of them threw up. I didn't think it was that bad. But Christ wants to change us from the inside out. And let me give you a quick order of Paul's travels. I'll try to be brief with this, but I want you to have this structure to understand what's going on. He wrote that one from prison at the end of Acts, okay? He's in prison there. Evidently, he's released after that. His accusers evidently never showed up in Rome, and so he wins by default, and he's released. He goes back out on the road, because Paul, you know, right out of prison, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I'm out of prison. What are y'all waiting for? He gets out. He heads straight to Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, and he takes Timothy, and Timothy is, is, a, is a young man that he has discipled and trained up. And he takes Timothy, and the church there at Ephesus is having problems. It's got a lot of false teachers and problems going on, some immorality in the church and everything. And he says, Timothy, I want you to stay here, straighten this mess out. And then he goes on to Macedonia, to northern Greece, where Alexander the Great was from. And from Macedonia, he writes, First Timothy, the letter he's writing back to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, trying to deal with all those problems. So he writes him a letter of encouragement and instruction. That's First Timothy. From Macedonia, Macedonia, he then goes to the island of Crete, island right there off the coast of Greece. And there he takes his other comrade, Titus, who's been with him since almost the beginning. And he says, Titus, you're a Greek. I'm leaving you here. I want you to straighten out the problems of churches. Interesting enough, same problems. False teachers, immorality. From Crete, he moves on to Nicopolis, southern Greece. You know what he does in Nicopolis? He writes a letter back to Titus to instruct Titus and encourage Titus. You see what he's doing? Stay here, fix this problem. Gets to the next city, writes a letter back. Next city, stay or fix this problem. Next city, write a letter, encourage him. This goes on, and this is how we get those letters, until finally he gets to a city called Troas, where he is arrested, taken to Rome, and imprisoned, this time not in house arrest. This time he's imprisoned in chains in a dungeon. And from there he writes his farewell letter that we know as Second Timothy. We're going to do those in that order. The order that Paul wrote him, 1 Timothy, Titus, then 2 Timothy. Why don't you pull the first part one up for me there, 3 through 6. Okay, so he's writing to Timothy. He says, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, 
stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any long. Doctrine just means teaching. Tell them to stop teaching false things, wrong things, any longer. Or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. False teachers have come into the church corrupting the congregation, corrupting the family. What did this look like? I mean, how bad were these false teachers? He gives us just kind of a little glimpse in. In chapter 4, I'll read you. He doesn't have it to put up here, but I'll read you a little bit. and This will give you kind of a light description of what's going on in these churches. It says, the, clearly, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. That was 2,000 years ago. They're still here. We call them cults. They're trained. They're slick. They're deceptive. They're twisters. They're hypocrites. And they're very difficult to confront. Because they have studied us. And they've got their answers all lined up. Back when I was in college, I was a brand new believer. I mean, I was, you'd have said, look in the book of Hebrews, I'd have been thumbing around in the, back in the Old Testament. And I went to a Bible study, and these two new guys showed up. And they got into the conversation. And they started saying some things and quoting some different scriptures. And I was listening to it, and it was unraveling everything I believed in. And I didn't know what was wrong, but I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't tell. And I felt so helpless. And I felt hollow and scared. I didn't know what to do. And then there was this young man. College age, just like me. But he had grown up in a, in a good family, good parents, and he had been taught. And this guy was sharp. He was sharp in character. He was sharp in mind. He was like a Timothy. And these guys went on. All of a sudden, we all heard this guy. <coughs> um, I might say a couple of words. And he systematically dissected those guys piece by piece. Totally controlled, totally dignified, respectful, but he didn't pull a punch. Those guys left the Bible study early. 
That's what an elder does. That's one of the jobs of an elder. He protects the church. He's a dad. When the wolves come in, he's there. What's the solution for all these false teachers? The solution is real, true leadership correcting the false teaching. So what does an elder or a bishop, by the way, elder, bishop, overseer, they're all, they all mean the same office. They're just different words. One author even uses both of them in the same letter. It's all the same thing. What's an elder supposed to look like? How do we know who should be an elder? Put up three next, if you would. You got that? Oh, good. Paul writes, here's a trustworthy, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a, no, a noble task. It's, it's not wrong. It's not prideful to aspire to, to, to be that, is what he's saying. It's an honorable goal. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given in drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So what's an elder look like? Do we have seven up there? Yeah, let me continue the rest of that. I changed it. That's my bad. But I want, to, I want the rest of it. Not given to drunkenness. Or have you got the rest? You got it. Okay, my bad. Here's the rest of it. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil, pride. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap, temptation. So what's an elder look like? We don't care what he drives. We don't care if he's big in society. We don't care if he's, you know, we're, we want to know the content of his character. Look at that verse 5. I think that just says it all right there. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, it's kind of like he's saying it aside. Hey, if he can't manage his own family, how is he going to manage the family of God? Right? Makes sense? Enough said. When it comes time to install a new elder, we get to vote. What are we looking for? We're looking for good dads. No great dads is what we're looking for. Great dads. Anybody in here have a great dad growing up? You know, what's a great dad look like? He's loving. He's encouraging. He's a coach. But he's also a life coach. What else? What else would you say a great dad is like? Just shout it out. Present. 
What else? Anything else? Engaged. A teacher. Uncon showing unconditional love. Patient. Not being overbearing. Correcting, but not overcorrecting. Correcting in love. Correcting with the idea of restoration. Gentle. A man who doesn't raise his voice. You've seen those guys, somebody yelling in their face, and they quietly stand there and answer. Proverbs, because they know. Proverbs says, a quiet word turns away wrath. And they keep their composure. That's what you want for elders. It's just that simple. We want dads. Now Titus. Now, Titus was a friend of Paul. He was a campaign buddy. They had been on the road many times. Many missionary trips. And so. He leaves him in Crete. Very much the same situation as Timothy. Matter of fact, he starts off almost the same thing in one five. The reason I left you in Crete, have we got that? No. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Sound familiar? Now look at six through nine. Sean, have we got that? Oh, there it is. Okay. The reason I left you, okay. An elder must be blameless. Faithful to his wife. That's in the Greek, it's a one-woman man. You want a guy that's not got roving eyes. You know, that's not always checking out everybody else. He's, a, he's faithful to his wife. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Why are the children important? Because you know what? We all put on a face here. But do you know me at home? My children do. They know the real you, don't they? You want to know if a guy's qualified? Go talk to his children. The wife, maybe, but she'll, a good wife will cover for you. I know. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Again, we're looking for great dads. Sound familiar? Wash, rinse, repeat. That's what he's saying to, Tim, to Titus. Same thing he said to Timothy. So when it comes time to get elders, and they also go into deacons in these letters. We just don't have time to do it. So next time it's time to get an elder, where do you go? Titus, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, Titus. That's where you find the descriptions. That's why they call these the pastoral letters. It's how to shepherd the church. And now, the book you've all been waiting for, the last one. This is Paul's most intimate letter. And I'm hoping I can get through this dry-eyed. This was an easy one to read when I was a young man. 
Now at my age, I'm living this letter. Man, I just, I read it and I'm just, man, it just hits me right here. This is Paul's most intimate, personal letter to his closest disciple, Timothy, who's practically a son to him. This is Paul's swan song. When he got arrested in Troas, this time they're not playing nice. This time they're throwing him in a cold dungeon in chains. He had to leave things behind. It's not looking good. Paul knows he's probably not coming out of this this time. And the trial is life or death. Let me read a couple of, let me read a few random highlights because I think this is the best way rather than trying to dissect this letter. Let me read a few things and I want you to, I want you to just grab the, the emotion that's what's going on in Paul as he reaches out to his son and as he faces his impending death. He says to Timothy, Recalling your tears, I long to see you. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of, or of me as his, his prisoner. You then, my son, be strong. You hear him speaking to his son. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And then he speaks of his pain. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Figulus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Then he writes, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me, has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus when you come. Bring the cloak, bring the jacket I left in Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. And he says, do your best to get here before winter. Paul writes, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. A drink offering is where you turn the cup completely upside down. Until it's completely drained. 
I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Shortly after that, we understand he was beheaded on, by Nero on the Ostian way. This is the man who stood by and took charge of everyone's overcoats so their arms could be free to really sling those stones at Stephen. He now awaits in a cold dungeon, chained to the wall, awaiting his own death. What is it? Or who is it that can change a man like this? The answer is Jesus. That's what can change him. That's what this is all about. God loved us, all of us on the planet. He loves us so much. That he himself came and died on the cross to pay the price of sin. Scripture says the penalty of death, I'm sorry, the penalty of sin is death. And all of us are sinners and we all deserve to die. And that's what he did. He loved us so much he came and he died in our place. And when we reach out, and we say, I believe you did that. Thank you for doing that for me. You've just stepped into his life. He's just put a new heart in you. And you have just stepped into eternity with him. You bow your heads with me now and let's close in prayer. Father God, my heart's just broken when I, when I think of Saul who became Paul. Lord, as we think upon this with our mind, take this and embed it in our hearts. Put that new heart in us, change us, so that we might be more like you, more like Jesus. Father, we just thank you for all your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray.
right, we have reached the offertory part of our sermon. But before we get there, well done, sir. Thank you very much. Well, it was our privilege. I've never made that connection between Saul holding the cloaks at the stoning of Stephen and him asking for his cloak to be delivered to him. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, here at Hope, we do not pass a plate um, as part of our offertory. We um, have online giving. There's a bucket in the back that you can give, but we believe that that financial part of your offertory is um, a private matter between you and God. But we also use this time to think about the other ways that we can give to God. We give our time and our talents as well as our treasure. So we like to think about what we've learned and kind of apply it to our own hearts. And it is just amazing to me that God consistently stacks the deck against himself just so he can show off at how good and how radical he can change someone. And I think that that's exactly what he's done in the life of Paul. And then at the same time, it gives us something to aspire to. And I know that we talked about um, elders today, but that calls all of us to this place of faithfulness. And we know that that faithfulness is absolutely impossible without that heart and life change that only comes through the grace of God. So as the music plays, we're going to take um, just a few seconds of silent reflection, and then I will pray for us um, to close us up. Father, thank you so much for your grace and for your love, how you pour it out on us each and every day. And Lord, I just pray that, um, that you would continue to change us and shape us into the men and women of God that you want us to be. And just pray for anyone who has ever just not heard this message before or their, their lives just have never been changed by this, that you would use your power to change their hearts and to draw them to yourself. We lift up all of these things in Jesus' name. I pray, amen. We'd like to invite you at this time to stand with us and sing as we close our worship in this one last song.
What a great line that is. Free grace, it cost him. I, Sean, can you put that back up? That is such a great line. That is the message that we want to take out into the world this week. Mm-hmm. Free grace, it costs so much to him, right? So let's take that message out this week, but I don't want you to leave without God's blessing. This is um, one of my favorite blessings out of Numbers chapter 6. Take it with you into this week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in his peace.